you know, God forgives us for that sin, but we still have to face the consequences of those sins. And I had some consequences I needed to face. Uh, now, they didn't understand what was going on. So I just told them, I said, you know what, dad's done something wrong and I need to go make it right. And I said, I'm going to be gone for a little while. And I was watching them very intently because I've seen a lot of movies like Shawshank Redemption, Netflix documentaries, all those kind of prison stories. I thought, uh, uh, they're about to come after me. And so I'm watching them very intently and, and I'm thinking, okay, how do I get down off this bunk? How am I going to defend myself? And Eric, when the lights would go out in the evening and nobody was around, they would sneak over to my bunk and they'd bring me a letter and they'd say, Stephen, I just got this letter from my daughter back home. Would you read it to me? Do you remember the story of Moses? Not the story of Moses who led Israel out of Egypt, but the story of Moses that committed murder in Egypt and then fled to Midian and spent 40 years in exile as a consequence of his murder. As you probably know, this was the same Moses that God used to deliver Israel from the Egyptians. Then the Israelites, while at the doorstep of the promised land, chose not to trust God. And as a consequence of their actions, they were sent to wander the wilderness for 40 years. Sometimes the consequence of my actions can be hard to accept. But can God speak to me in the middle of my consequence? Is it possible that God can use me even while I'm in the middle of the wilderness? Can God use my consequence to change me and make me into who he wants me to be? These are the questions that I want to ask Pastor Stephen as he finishes his life change story with us. I'm Eric Hutchinson, and this is the If Nothing Changes podcast. So our guest is going to join us via Zoom again, all the way from Texas. So Pastor Stephen, in our last episode, you had just had a literal coming to Jesus moment in a hotel room and decided to turn yourself in for a crime. Now you are facing the consequences of your actions. So let me ask you a question. You mentioned that you had a child that was unborn yet. So during that process, during your trial process, was the, the child born then? And how old was your youngest child whenever you were incarcerated? Yeah, so um, actually my son was born uh, that year after I turned myself in, and I was actually arrested when he was one week old. I was standing in the living room holding my newborn when the detectives came and knocked on the door. And I uh, said, hey, um, we need you to come with us. And, and so I know I'm kind of laughing at it to keep from crying, but that's what it was. And so he was an infant during that time. And here in Texas, um, it's 12 to 18 months before you come up for trial once you're arrested. It's a long process and negotiation. So I was actually out on bail um, right at 18 months before I came up for trial. So he was 18 months old when I went in and he was um, about to turn three when I got out. So um, that was the time frame for him. And my others, like I said, were just toddlers. Or my other one had just gone through preschool, was about to start kindergarten when I went in. What was the hardest thing for you going from freedom to incarceration? Absolutely. The number one thing that was the hardest for me was leaving my boys behind. It broke my heart, Eric. When, my, when I went into prison, my kids were... Um, 18 months old, they're all like two and a half, three years apart. Okay. So about four and six, three and a half, you know, and six around that. And, and I'll never forget the night before I went to 
report, basically, um, I had to sit all three of my boys down and it broke my heart to tell them that I was going to be gone for a little while. Uh, now they didn't understand what was going on. So I just told them, I said, you know what, dad's done something wrong and I need to go make it right. And I said, I'm going to be gone for a little while. I said, but when I get back, everything's going to be fine. But, you know, I've got to go take care of some stuff and make things right for something I did wrong. Um, in their mindset, it was more of a, a timeout type aspect. Um, and, of course, they didn't realize how much time it was going to be. And I couldn't tell them at the time how long it was going to be. Um, I knew it wouldn't be over two years, but I didn't know exactly if I'd make parole, when I, all those kind of aspects. So I just told them. But I just sat there and held my boys in my lap and cried and said, Daddy's going to be gone. So that's what broke my heart. And that's what motivated me to become the man God had called me to be. Because um, I'd messed up being the husband God had called me to be. <laughs> but I wanted to be the best dad God had called me to be. And so I tried to work on myself while I was in to become the best possible dad and future husband that, um, that was submitted to God in every aspect of my life. So it broke my heart missing their Little League games missing their performances at school, the PTA meetings. My mom and dad, while I was incarcerated, Eric, they would go to all of their little soccer games and all those kind of things and take pictures of my boys doing that. And they would mail those in to me while I was in prison so I could see my boys and be a part of their life and see what was happening. So tell me a little bit about going and, and being incarcerated. It sounds to me like that was a totally foreign, like you go into a foreign planet because you're, you grew up in, it sounds like an affluent Southern Baptist home where you had a lot of uh, things. You were a football star, lots of stuff. And all of a sudden now you're, you know, you're a young man and you've been in a coaching situation, you've, you've got, you know, you've been in church and all stuff. All of a sudden now your world is rocked. You've got it. You're upside down and you're being incarcerated. So tell me about that. What was it like that first day going, going into prison? But when I went to trial, my mom and dad was with me with one of my sisters. It was a very emotional day. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I had to stand up in front of the judge with my two attorneys and do the plea. Uh, my victim's family was able to do a victim impact statement towards me um, on how much hurt and things I'd caused their family. So it was a very emotional day. And Eric, when I left that courtroom here in Tarrant County, you go back through processing and fingerprinting and all of that kind of physical stuff. But then they send you to where you're going to be housed until the Texas Department of Criminal Justice comes and picks you up to ship you to prison. So when I was walking in that day to my little, what we'd call a pod, there was 25 guys or 24 guys in it, 12 bunks. I decided in my mind, I'm going to go in there and just sit on my bunk and just watch and observe. So I went in there, got up on my bunk, which was in the top bunk over in the corner. I got over there and sat there for several hours. I didn't talk to anybody. I was very emotional, just watching everything, trying to to feel what is jail and prison because I'd never experienced it. I didn't know what the, what the experience was going to be like. And so I sat there for several hours and late that night around 10 o'clock, a group of about five or six guys went over and huddled up over in the corner of that little pod. And I was watching them very intently because I've seen a lot of movies like Shawshank Redemption, Netflix documentaries, all those kind of prison stories. I thought, uh, uh, they're about to come after me. 
And so I'm watching them very intently and, and I'm thinking, okay, how do I get down off this bunk? How am I going to defend myself? My heart starts racing, you know, my, my adrenaline starts going up and I'm, I'm getting very anxious. And after those guys have been over there just a few minutes, they broke their little huddle and I thought, okay, now they're coming after me. But instead of turning and charging after me, they kind of took a step back. They reached down and they grabbed hands. They bowed their heads and they began praying together. Wow. And it was in that moment, Eric, that the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Stephen, that's the guys that I want you to go after. Those are my sons. And I want you to go tell them how much I love them. So I jumped off that bunk, ran over there, said, guys, what, what was this? What just happened? And they said, well, this is a prayer circle. They said, we do a prayer circle here in our pod every night. And we come over here and we pray for each other. We pray for each other's families. And you're welcome to come over and join us. And that was the first time, Eric, that I'd ever seen or even thought about Jesus being inside of a jail or a prison. So from that first night of my incarceration, I started trying to reach guys for the kingdom. And there were so many guys God brought into my life during my incarceration um, that I just was able to share Christ with. And I would build those relationships any way I could. It got out real quick that I was a teacher. And there was a lot of guys in there that didn't know how to read and write. And Eric, when the lights would go out in the evening and nobody was around, they would sneak over to my bunk and they'd bring me a letter and they'd say, Stephen, I just got this letter from my daughter back home. Would you read it to me? And I would open up that letter and sit there on their bunk with them and read a letter to them from their from their kiddos back home. And then I would ask them, hey, do you want to write them back? And they're like, my writing's so bad, you know, they can't even read it. They it'd be horrible. My English, my grammar is awful. So I'd say, let me do it for you. And so I would write a letter back for them and help them mail that to their kids. And and Eric, I found any way I could grab guys like that and build a relationship with them and give me the opportunity to share the love of Christ. Wow. So it sounds to me like you had a divine appointment the very first night and that God was protecting you and he was also leading you into some incredible things. So now I just can't help but ask, I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of prison movies as well. I mean, was there any bad guys in prison? I mean, was there any, was there any confrontations or things that scared you or did you develop that circle of guys that, that you felt uh, welcomed and, and in? I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Well, just to paint a picture for you here in Texas, the minimum security prisons, guys are in, in dorm settings, anywhere from like 24 to 50 guys in a dorm setting. I, I related much to like a youth camp dorm where there's a bunch of bunks around and restrooms at the end. Um, so it's just one big room like that with everybody living in it together. Minimum security here, medium security. Those are two man cells. Um, two guys in a small six by eight cell and maximum security here. It's a one man cell. So just one person to it. So I was in the dorm setting the entire time, but um, you are correct in prison. There are bad guys um, and there are gangs and other activity that goes on. But honestly, uh, the prisons here in Texas, we have a lot of faith-based programming, a lot of faith-based opportunities. And so I knew God had a call on my life. And so I thought of this much like Moses. And when after he committed murder, he basically got a 40 year sentence. Okay. Now he went and spent it out in the desert of Midian. Okay. 
But that 40 years, he, he served 40 flat, we'd say in the prison world. He served 40 flat before he came back to do what God had called him to do. And so I thought of prison as my time in the desert, um, preparing myself for the ministry God had for me when I got out. So I started digging into every type of faith-based programming we had there at the unit. Everything the chaplaincy department had, I would sign up for every class we had. Um, I very quickly became the worship leader at my prison. So I was leading inside the church. And, and something I learned about men that are incarcerated, a lot of them went to church as kids, okay? Because grandma took them or, or mom took them or something like that. Um, and no matter what their background or religion or race was, they had a lot of respect for the ministers in their church, the pastors in their church or the priest in their church. So because I was the, the, like the minister on my unit, I had a lot of respect from guys that they didn't um, try to get me involved in things or try to pull me one direction or another because of the respect of men they have in authority inside the church. So let um, me ask you this. Did you get to see any of your kids while you were incarcerated in person or just see pictures? I mean, what was it? No. Um, right after my arrest, um, their mom filed for divorce and um, through that process got restraining orders against me where I was not able to see my children. And mm -hmm. so I had to deal with the court aspect of that for several years and, and fight that over and over to get um you know, just access to my kids once I got out of prison. So because of that, yes, I was isolated from them for a few years and I could talk over the phone to them, those type things. Um, but as far as physically with them, no, I was restricted. So I would write letters to them and I would even have guys in my dorm draw pictures, which there's amazing artists inside prisons. You've probably seen some of that artwork, but I would have them draw pictures for me on my kids' birthdays and special occasions. And, and I would mail those home to my mom and dad. And so when my mom and dad would see my boys, they would give them those pictures and they would read my letters to them. And then I had such amazing parents through this. My dad would sit my boys down uh, when he was spending time with them and he would ask them questions like, what's your favorite subject in school? Or what's the name of your baseball team? Or what's your favorite position? Or he would ask them things like that that was going on in their life. And he would top those up while they were answering and then mail those to me. So I would basically be corresponding and communicating with my boys because they wanted me to maintain that aspect of being a dad in my kids' lives. And my mom and dad were amazing caregivers through this entire process to help me maintain that relationship with my boys. Wow. Now, so while I was incarcerated um, in that little prison unit. I decided to get rebaptized because I wanted to be baptized in prison, that that was my desert, and I was coming out a new creation. I wanted to come out with the joy in my heart and on my face where people didn't even recognize me when I walked out those walls and those doors. I wanted to come home and my kids would be like, this is a new dad. I don't even notice him. Like, look at the love and the joy and the peace and just the fruits of the spirit that just come out of him now that he never had before. And so I was baptized on, on July 21st, 2004. So I just had that anniversary of that just a few days ago. And, and I, I put it on my calendar, Eric. So every year I can sit down with my wife now, who's amazing. And I sit down and I say, man, look what God has done since I've given my life to him over 20 years ago. And 
and the love he has for me and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy every day and the blessings he keeps pouring on us every day, Eric, I could go on and on just about how God has blessed me. So let me, I want to, I want to fast forward. And were you incarcerated for two full years? I mean, or did you get off on good behavior a little earlier or how long were you there? Well, actually with my crime, I had a two year sentence. Okay. So here in Texas, the way they did it, I actually served one year. Okay. And then it was really 11 months and a few days. And then I got on parole. And so I had to spend, you know, nearly 13 months on parole, checking in with a parole officer every month, you know, house visits, all those kind of fun things parole has. But then after my two-year sentence, because of the type of crime I had, I had to register as a sex offender here in Texas for 10 years. So I was on the sex offender registry um, for 10 years after my incarceration. So really for 12 years, I, I say I was dealing with this, um, the two years, you know, inside TDCJ and then the the um, registration stuff afterwards. So I've seen a lot of aspects of the system, which really um, helps me now walking with people and, and walking through the process. Because I told you at the beginning, it was the fear of the unknown that was I was scared to death about. Now I have the opportunity to sit down with with families you know, whose son's about to go in or whose husband's about to go in and sit down with them and walk them through the process and say, hey, here's what's going to happen and just prepare them for allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to them through this time. Wow. So let me ask you this. I'm, I'm curious, whenever you knew that you were getting out and you had the date in hand, you knew you were going to be walking out of that prison, what was it like to know, I mean, you know, the night before, could you sleep the night before? Did you wake up the next day? And, and you know, how was coming out of prison and who met you there? Um, my mom and dad met me, but I'll never forget the last few days um, because I was in a unit down outside of Huntsville. And it was the night of the national championship when USC played Oklahoma. And it was Reggie Bush versus Adrian Peterson. Okay, that was my last night in prison was watching that national championship game. And and no, I could not sleep and um, walked out the next morning and my mom and dad were out there waiting for me. Uh, so when I walked out the, the doors, they were there in the little visitor center where all the families had gathered to pick me up. And and there was a lot of tears. Um, it was, yeah, I, I knew God had so much planned for us. It was hard for me to see it then, but there was always a sense, honestly, Eric, from the time I was in that hotel room, when I gave my life to Christ, I knew God had a plan for my life. And if I just kept focused on him, he was going to take care of everything. So I, I didn't worry a lot. There was fear and anxiety, um, but I knew he had me in his hands and was walking with me. But my mom and dad were there to greet me. And everybody I always asked, where'd you go eat? You know, what was your first meal when you get out? That's what everybody says. Um, so we looked around for restaurants and um, we saw a Chili's restaurant. And so I asked my mom and dad to take me to Chili's for several reasons, mainly because I wanted a salad. Okay, because here in Texas prisons, they do not get fresh vegetables. Everything's out of a can. So the crunchiness of fresh vegetables like bell peppers and lettuce and fresh tomatoes and onions, I had not experienced that. And I I longed for that crunchiness inside my mouth and that freshness. 
And so I knew I could do that. I knew I could get, you know, queso and chips and hot sauce and, and steak and baked potato and all that for sure. Um, but then I knew at the end I could get a great dessert, you know, where there was a chocolate shake or a, like a cookie monster, brownie monster kind of thing. And so I ordered everything, Eric. I ordered it all and I thought I could eat it all. And I just ate a few bites of each one, but it just, it was amazing just to sit there in the chilies. And then after we ate, my mom and dad said, what do you want to do? And I said, you know what? I've not been in a store in over a, a year, in a year. Think about that. So we went across the street to a Walmart and I just walked around Walmart. No plans, nothing shopping for anything, nothing. I just wanted to walk around because inside prison, you're completely taken out of those things. And all those little things we took for granted now mean so much to me. It's just amazing all those things that we do every day in our daily activity that when you're incarcerated, when you get out, Every day when I go out and start up my car and get in, I just sit there and say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me a vehicle, for giving me the opportunity to drive. They give me a job to drive, too. I mean, it just goes on and on because all of those things, I was so performance driven, so all about me, me, me. I never thought about my world around me and the experience of the things in God's creation. So let me ask you this. Did you feel a call to prison ministry while you were in prison, or did that come afterwards? No, I, I knew I was called to prisons. I didn't know what aspect it was, okay? Um, prison opened my eyes to a new demographic of people that I had never imagined. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be through reentry. I didn't know if it was going to be through going back in, how it looked. I knew here in Texas, once I got out, I had to be out two years before I could come back in and serve inside prisons. So when I got out, I just tried to get back on my feet, started my own business, started working, and then met the love of my life, my soulmate, who God had been creating for me for years, um, brought us together. We got married, and we'd been married about six months. And she's very direct, Eric. I, one of these days, I think you could sit down and talk to her. Y'all would love it. She and your wife could talk all day, I'm sure. Um, but after we've been married about six months, she sat me down and she said, okay, you said when we were dating that God had called you to the ministry. She said, were you just doing that? So I would say yes and marry you. Or did God really call you? You know, if he called you, she's like, you better get up and get after it. Cause she was very Holy spirit driven. She's like, I don't want you, you know, not doing it. If God's called you to it. So I said, no, God called me and let's go do it. And so she and I actually went and did our state training together in January of 2008 and we went back, Eric, to the exact unit I was in to start our ministry because I wanted to go back where God had wrecked me and called me. And I grew so much in that prison. I wanted to go back and start the ministry there. So I went back and we did our first service there. She and I sang music. Like I said, we're a little old. And so we love the, the Gaither homecoming stuff, Gaither vocal band kind of things. And so we sang a couple of Gaither songs or she did. And then I... I just shared my story with those guys to try to give them some hope that you can do this. And God's got plans for you. This is not the end. This is only the beginning. And so we started our ministry just like that and did that for a couple of years. I started seminary, started working on my master's degree, like I said, at Liberty while we were building our ministry. And our ministry started, Eric, because I'd gone through a divorce 
through my incarceration. Um, I'd been ripped out of my kids' lives. And after being inside and, and seeing that and seeing the demographics inside, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you know what, if you can repair that family unit, they have a better chance of success when they get out. So when Celeste and I first started our ministry, we started just teaching marriage and parenting classes. And she and I did that for several years before coming to Gateway and joining this amazing team here. Well, I know that the listeners can't see this, but behind you, there are some things, and you had told me before we started that those are some things from your prison experience. So I want to give you an opportunity to maybe describe a couple of those items and what they mean to you. Yes. So here in my office, I keep my prison ID hanging back here on the wall, along with the the bowl I had, the, the cup, the spoon, my brush, my toothbrush, and my commissary bag, because those were things I used pretty much every day inside prison. But I put them here in the corner of my office because every day I come in to get ready for work, I look over there and just thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for giving your life for somebody like me. Thank you for getting on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And I just sit here and praise God and thank him for the blessings in my life. And that's just a reminder to me. That's like my desert time that I can look at and say, man, look at all the growth that happened inside my life when I was incarcerated. And look how God's using that time in my life to reach people now and the opportunity I have now to go back inside prisons and give those guys hope. And I can I can walk up to them, Eric, and tell them, hey, my TDC number is 1217963. I know what it's like to, to eat the food and to sit there and to be in the heat and to walk this and and, and live it out and be separated from my kids and from my parents and from back home. And, and I can just show them, hey, you can do this. You can make it. If Christ is your strength, you'll, you'll get through this and you'll be so much better on the other side. So that's why I love having this here. It's just a reminder of to me each day, Eric, of where God has brought me since my days inside prison. Amen. That's powerful. When did you start changing what Stephen believes about himself? Was that in prison? Did, did that's when your identity started changing or was that, was that later? Um, I'd say I give Holy Spirit the credit, but it was really my wife that pushed me and showed me my identity because I struggled with my past. I struggled with all the hurt and the wounds and the, the anger and the bitterness of people from my past that I'd caused all of those wounds and my identity was caught up in my past of I was always going to be that because I got all the labels. I was on the sex offender registry. Everybody called me the child molester, the pedophile, the whatever they could think of. Once this, always this, you know, he's always going to be that. Um, and that's what I dealt with. But my wife would speak that identity in me and she was so strong in it. She'd say, who, who does God tell you you are? Does God call you all those things in your past or not? And so she would remind me of that just constantly. If she could see that something was bothering me, if something came up in my past, something would kind of get me thinking about all those mistakes. She was the one that would point me back and say, hey, what does God say you are? So who are you? What's your identity? I read a thing about addiction the other day. They said um, addiction is giving up everything for one thing and recovery is giving up one thing for everything. 
And I feel like now I gave up that one thing of, of performance driven stuff that led me to find acceptance or identity in the opposite sex. And it caused me to lose everything, lost mm -hmm. my career, lost my status in the community. I was of course in the newspapers, on the news, all of that. Um, but I completely changed and went the other direction. Then I'm a forgiven child of God. I'm a new creation in Christ, just like Corinthians 5, 17 says, the old man is gone and the new man has come. And I've stuck with that scripture anytime the enemy tries to, to hit me with those old labels and tell me I'm still this or still that or something pops up. I'm like, no, that's not. I'm a new creation in Christ and I'll never go back to that old way. Amen. Tell us what's God doing in, in your life now? Well, it's just amazing to see how God moves inside prisons and to get to experience it and witness it every day. People talk about going to work. I feel like I never go to work because I just get to go in and see the Holy Spirit speak into lives every day behind the walls or inside the wire here in Texas prisons. And so um, Celeste and I came to Gateway Church in 2009, and they brought me on as a, as a global partner inside of their missions department back in 2010. And so what that means was basically um, I was a missionary from Gateway into the prisons. So what differentiates Gateway Church from other prison ministries is we go in, we plant a church inside, and we make it as close to a Gateway Church out in the world as inside. And Pastor Robert Morris has a huge heart for prison ministry and the men and women inside prisons. So we give them all the resources they need for their church inside. So we install all brand new audio video gear, state-of-the-art equipment inside these prisons. But what we do is we actually go in and train the inmates on how to be leaders in their church that's inside. I like to say today's offender is tomorrow's neighbor. And what we are doing now is we are building radio stations inside prisons. So think about that faith-based radio stations. Now we are installing inside Texas prisons and we're going in and training the inmates to be the DJs, the program directors, station managers, sound engineers, every aspect of a radio station. We are training the, the guys and ladies inside to do those jobs. And Satan thinks he has a stronghold in there and those guys are isolated and he's telling them what their identity is we're able to infiltrate that with the word of God through the airwaves and radio programming to tell them, no, your identity is in Christ and somebody out here loves you and we care about you and we want you to be successful. And it is just changing the way TDCJ is doing things. Well, Pastor Stephen, thank you so much for sharing your story and what's going on in your life. I want to ask you one last question. So we never know who's listening. What encouragement would you give someone who maybe has been caught in either a sin or a crime, and they know that there's some major consequences coming, what, what advice, what encouragement would you give to them? The first thing I had to do was be honest with myself. I had to stand there and look in the mirror and realize sin had taken over my life and, and I had a problem. I had an issue. I needed to address it. There was no more running from it. It was snowballing, going downhill and getting worse and worse and worse. Then the lies were getting worse, lies after lies after lies. So I had to first say, okay, I'm going to be honest to myself. And then after I was honest with myself, um, 
you know, and became honest with, with Christ and got down on my knees and accepted and was honest with God, then I had to deal with transparency to some close Christian brothers that would walk with me. Thanks, Pastor Stephen, for sharing the rest of your story with us. Hey, if you are listening today and maybe you are suffering the consequences of some bad choices, maybe you are in the middle of a proverbial desert and you feel all alone. You are not alone and God forgives you and those bad choices. Why not allow those consequences that you're facing to change you, mold you, and lead you into whatever God wants you to do next? He has a plan that supersedes anything you could imagine. Change is possible, but if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.